Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 200. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. This is Richard Ryerson. So happy you tuned in today. Got a great guest today, John R. Bell. He's a retired consumer package goods CEO and a global strategy consultant. And he's he's been a consultant to some of the world's most respected uh, blue chip organizations. He's a prolific writer. He's working on a fictional novel as well. And um, his writings on strategy, leadership, and branding have appeared in all kinds of marketing journals and publications such as Fortune and Forbes. And he served as a director of several private, public, and not-for-profit organizations. He's got a book out there called uh, Do Less Better, and it's all about how the business world is a complex place, which we all know, and the book cuts through the clutter. And I love this topic, and it was a great conversation. You know, we talk a little bit about when John was in a on in his mid-30s on a young leadership team, and they faced the daunting task of resurrecting a company with a huge product line and, and tons of red ink, and um, they did what most leaders don't do and they step back they set aside their egos and they trim the company down to a a shadow of its former self and so the business it was painful at the time but it, in the long run it, it grew rapidly and, and because they concentrated on kind of almost niching it down and they concentrated on running their most profitable skew uh, they were successful and so those lessons taught him well and served him well throughout the years and this is what this conversation is about it's a great conversation. He's a great uh, man, John R. Bell on Dose of Leadership. Well, John, so excited you're here on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Richard. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Well, you know, it's amazing. Um, I especially like talking to people who are former CEOs. Um, they're hard to get, and I love your backstory and everything that you've you've done with, and especially trying to do more uh, or do less better, I guess. I mean, it seems so counterintuitive because it just seems like we're in such a crazy, chaotic world these days. How do you, how do you, how do you do less better? Well, you know, th- this is really the interesting point because um, many, many years ago, um, I read books on focus, and I I enjoyed them very much, and I tried to implement the principles in those books, and they were very, very successful for me. And, uh, you know, as the years progressed, you see business becoming more and more complex. Some of the issues bringing complexity are, are, are outside from the outside, such as, you know, government regulations and compliance. But a lot of them are, are the same old reasons, which, which are human created, which are bloated managements and, and, and layers and, and layers of, of management. So my view was, well, if, if focus worked back in my day, um, surely it, it's even more important for it to work today. And, and, I, and I believe it is. Um, when you look at uh, how big keeps getting bigger, the, the, the way to succeed and thrive against a lot of giants for small to medium-sized companies is to actually do less so that they can specialize and be really, really good in one or two things. Well, you know, you hear about that, especially even on the entrepreneurship front. You know, it's like you, you look at a 
say a person is trying to start his own business and you know you try to be all things for everybody and it's just a recipe for disaster if you can niche down and you look at the numbers you don't need to sell to everybody you just need to sell to select few and you can really reap some amazing amazing uh, margins and, and profits and benefits and not you know kill yourself with trying to be everything for everybody um, it's the same in big business I would assume too right well, you're, you're totally right. Um, but e even when you look at uh, entrepreneurial companies, uh, after five, six, ten years perhaps, um, they, they, and organic growth starts to slow down, what do they do? They, they look at expanding. They look at going into, right. into more markets, into new geographies. And suddenly, these businesses, uh, which were very streamlined to begin with, are now complex. Right. And, and uh, it, right. And, and there's a lot of uh, and many of them go on the acquisition hunt and they look at uh, a target and, uh, well, it's a new revenue screen, stream. But how strategic is it? Is it really going to help the company improve its strategic health or is it just new sources of revenue? And often if it's new sources of revenue, it's enough. And of course, this this is the the Achilles heel of yeah. that kind of thinking. One has to be very, very, very strategic, and and have the courage to say no to things. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, strategically doing kind of more of the same thing you've been doing time and time again, you think, okay, I was successful with this SKU or this product or or this service. Let's just do more of the same. And thinking, you know, that you're you're automatically going to see the same amount of percentage of growth if you add more of the same. But really, what you're doing, you're just kind of incrementally, maybe marginally improving, if if at all, right? Because you're adding. It's not a one to one relationship, is it? No, no, it's not. And, and you know, this has actually happened to some very, very good companies. I have a lot of respect for Procter & Gamble. And you can see how Procter & Gamble looked at packaged goods. They were, they were in soaps and uh, detergents as well as some health and beauty aids and said, you know, if we can sell these packaged goods, why can't we sell packaged food? And, of course, they could and they did. But it was – they weren't – nearly as successful with it because there was different um, key success factors. So then they sold off Crisco. They sold off uh, Folgers Coffee, which happened to be a billion-dollar business but very, very poor earnings and decided, hey, we're, we're pretty good at beauty aids and the beauty business and we like the margins in that business. Let's do that and let's do that better. So the, the bottom line there is uh, even a company like P&G decides that they, they, will, uh, they will prune what they plant. And, 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 you know, and, and that's certainly in, in view of them expanding through acquisition, uh, as have many others, but they're not afraid to get out of businesses. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the leadership aspect of it, because I'd imagine, you know, I'm a, st a student of business and I'm always fascinated. They bring in, you know, this fresh face, the new leadership. You know, we've got sales that are that are in the in the red. You know, we you got a board and shareholders that are saying, okay, what are you going to do? You know, they're getting impatient. You know, you've got a bloated workforce that may be heavily unionized. I mean, all these type of scenarios that you see people walking into. What from a leadership perspective? What's going to make someone be successful? And what type of leadership culture or style needs to be implemented to start making, in your opinion, the positive change? Now, I, I'm assuming uh, you're referring to my early career when I was in a multi-food business uh, yeah. that was overextended. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so this, this is a – that's a, a very, very good question because who in their right mind um, thinks that if you've got a, a business losing money 
surely one must do more and more to fix it. Right. More sales, more sales, right? This is conventional logic. So if we've got 10 brands, we've got to push them all and and, and, and make all the sales go up and and hopefully the the margins there will drop to the bottom line because the overheads are the same. They're not. Right. (laughs) It it just doesn't happen. So one has to um, basically ask for a, um, a leap of faith. You don't really get it, but this is a turnaround. And turnaround leadership is very, very different from mining the store leadership. Right. Um, this calls for drastic action. This isn't uh, bottom-up uh, um, collaboration. This is making a choice that the only way this company can survive is by getting rid of most of the things we have and really doing well in very few of them. So in our case, we divested 10 product categories and brands and kept to – and concentrated on one, which happened to be the coffee business. Wow. And by doing that, uh, we got better and better at it. And then the new breed of, of employees who, who came in and bought into that concept uh, thrived uh, as, as well as, every, as everyone else in the company. And it was extremely motivating. It was, a, it was much easier leadership, Richard. Was it in the when, when, when you when you were focused, it's so much easier uh, yeah. because there's there's there are less opportunities coming your way, but the ones that do come your way are right on the money. Right. So you know we looked at things like uh, single serve coffee. We looked at um, reusable filters. Um, we looked at and and in fact we did. We built a um, decaffeinated plant right next to our our roasting facility, and we decaffeinated only with water. And then we supplied that product to the specialty coffee trade, mainly in the United States. And it was a very, very profitable business. The margin was about a third. Was it, was it, (laughs) I can imagine that, you know, without, by strategically eliminating those, those product lines, you going from, you had 12 and you went down to two. Is that what I heard correctly? Yeah, that's correct. Now, I, I will say this to you. That, and this is where uh, strategic sacrifice is tough because there is collateral damage. Uh, we had a, a, a 500 plus workforce, and by cutting that business down to two, that workforce went to 200. Wow. So, f- so fundamentally, I mean, this was the offshoot of it. It wasn't the reason we cut the workforce. The workforce was cut because the businesses were gone, but we sacrificed 300 jobs to save 200. Right. And, uh, and you know, uh, letting 300 people go in a distant plant may be tolerable, but when you see them every day, yeah, very painful. Um, this is tough. And that's the difference between uh, tough strategic choices and tough strategic sacrifices. The sacrifices are the things that keep you up at night because you've got to do something that you really don't want to do. We really didn't want to kill those those 10 product lines. In fact, to be honest with you, I didn't put it in the book, but we killed six to start with and kept four mm. <laughs> and learned that, come on, guys. It yeah, wasn't enough. A little more. We got to cut a little You're more. You're kidding yourself. You got to go all the way. Well, that's why I can't. Especially in hindsight, you can see this now. But I just can't imagine being in the middle of that. I mean, there you were. That just had to be just agonizing because it has to be a very difficult sell to get rid of product lines. I just can't imagine how difficult that might have been. Did you have a lot you of? Are, you, go ahead. Sorry, you 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 are restoring my memory, and I I it was extremely stressful. Not only that, the management of the day, we're all in our early 30s. Oh, my gosh. We were just young guys. This, this was our first management committee jobs, most of us. We were between the ages of uh, 32 and 38. So what- and you know, our reputations were on the line. 
<laughs> it just had to, had to had to work, and and when it did, um, most of the, the that, that small management group went on to other other businesses, and they still operated the same way. The guy who was the CEO of the time, he went on to run a brewery called Labatt, and later that was called Interbrew, which is was out of Belgium, which is now Anheuser Busch. Wow. And, and he was always in single businesses. He went to, to uh, he went in the bakery business after ours, and then he went into the, the uh, beer business. And after I, after I left the company after 17 years, I went into consulting. So, and often the, the assignment was how to fix uh, strategically weak um, brands or businesses. And I saw the same thing there. Uh, people trying to do more and more. So, what was it? Take me back to that moment. So you're in your 30s, and and the day to day. I mean, when at what point? Did you have any early wins that you said that told you guys that yeah we're on the right right path or was it a long tough slog thinking with you know racked with doubt? You are you are very perceptive. Our market share for the coffee business was fourteen percent. This this was a business in Canada at the time, and our our market share for coffee was fourteen percent. Um, by by making some major innovative moves, uh, we brought in uh, special packaging technology. We created some breakthrough uh, uh, advertising. Within two years, the market share was up to 20. The bottom line was still red. So we knew that we had a consumer, customer-accepted proposition. Now we had to get it big enough so that enough of the margin goes to the bottom line. And by the time the market share was 25, which is after three years, we were profitable. Wow. By the time we sold that company to Kraft, it was 28. Wow. Now, I would be shocked if that market share is more than 10 today. Really? Here's why. Kraft is a company that does more and more. Right. But Kraft is a company with clout and scale. So if you have scale, do less better is an option. It's an option, right. If you don't have scale, it's your only option. It is your only option. And what, that, I'm, what, I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is it, they could do better by focusing, but they, they have such scale and such power that they don't have to. But a competitor, such as we were in those early days, and they were 10 times our size, really, really had to focus and become a specialist. And and by the time we sold the business to them 15, 16 years later, uh, we knew more about, way more about coffee than they did. And, and, and the reason for that is their management had to worry about cereals, uh, frozen foods, uh, uh, jelly powder, <laughs> coffee and a number of other things. Right. How is it possible that they could know more about coffee? And and yet for us, 100% of our time on coffee, and this goes well beyond um, uh, marketing. This is in the in the buying. This is in the pricing. This is in the uh, the, the, the purchase in the inventory control, um, in in the bean selection. Uh, all of that you get really really good at it. So when there is a frost in Brazil and the coffee prices go through the roof. Who do you think knows how to handle that the best? Yeah, well, the, yeah, we did. You did. So, <laughs> so we. Yeah, and the the interesting example was you know you're going to have to increase the price because the green bean price is going up. We wait the longest. We let our margins go down, but our market share goes up. And then once the market price goes down, we drop our price first. So you eventually make your your margin on on, on one end or the other. 
Exactly. Yeah. I might not have explained it correctly. But uh, we actually made it w- the margin when the market price were going up, even though the sales were less. Right. And makes then sense. the margin went down, but the sales went up on the way down. Sure. And, you know, by the time there was the third frost, which is o- over six or seven years, um, we, we really knew how to manage it. And, you know, it just goes back to the lesson. What I mean, what a great lesson for you to learn in your 30s. I mean, it almost sets the stage. You can you can almost apply it to anything. You don't have to just apply it to big business or even small business. You can almost apply it to, you know, if you're answering the question of what am I going to do with my life? Because I think all of us, we try to be everything to everybody. But the message I'm getting from what you're saying is like, you know, get focused on what you're good at and then just be better than anybody else at it. And don't try to be everything for everybody. You don't have to try to sell the whole world. You just need to try to sell to your small little group that you're that you're um, trying to attract yeah this this is true I, I recently wrote a blog about uh, personal branding and I and I posted a template for a person's personal brand statement and and just like a uh, commercial brand uh, one line is what is the promise or what is your benefit it has to be single-minded right it can't be two or three things it, what separates you from the rest of the pack are you a creative thinker are you great with people? Well, you, you might be all of those things. But if there was one thing that separated you, what is it? And then is that something that you can really leverage and showcase to, to, to prove yourself? Um, we had people in our company. Some of them were, were uh, very systematic. We had others that were very, very bad with detail. But they were so creative that we made sure that they had the kind of jobs where – they had backup for the details, and they, they came through with just great ideas. Yeah. So, you know, and, and in the old days when you gave someone a, a performance review, it's it was always the areas for improvement. Well, right. I, I kind of got tired of that and said, no, let's, let's talk about the strengths of this person. Right. How, how can we get more, more from this person? And, and, and make them happier. And uh, there was a few that I remember that were so frustrated because they were very bad with details. And suddenly they had a job where they could be creative and uh, make a difference. I love that you said that. It's so true. I can't tell you how many times and time again we, we've said this where it's not about focusing well, – because we're always trying to fix our weaknesses. Not to say that you, you, know, you need to know yourself. You need to constantly self, seek self-improvement. I'm all for that. But what we're saying here is, is look, let's stop – I'm less concerned about your weaknesses. Let's focus on your strengths. And just by doing that, spending 80% of your time on your strengths is going to make your weaknesses be all that less significant. And you'll just find ways to augment for them instead of trying to fix the weaknesses. I mean, that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I, I think like you say, you, you, you've, you, you've certainly got to be uh, you got to be aware of, of the weaknesses. Sure. Um, but you don't want to give up uh, the, the competitive advantage, uh, which, which is uh, what, whatever your strength is. Um, m- mine happened to be I, I came up through marketing. Uh, I was uh, considered a very creative marketer. I had mentors who pushed me to, to do more in that area. And so, uh, you know, guess what books I read? <laughs> <laughs> I read right. about creativity. Right. Um, I probably should re- have read more books about leadership when I became a CEO because suddenly you're not not uh, in the marketing cre- function right. anymore. Right. You're gonna you've got to know what do they say? You've got you go from knowing uh, knowing less and less about more and more and more and more about less and less. I don't right. know how that. Will- so well, when you move from a specialization to generalization, in other words, from the marketing function to general management, uh, you're going to know uh, less and less about more and more. 
because you've got to you've got to know what's going on in production, you've got to know what's going on in finance, human resources, and so on. While in marketing, you you know more and more about less, which is is marketing, not about production, not about HR. These these kinds of things. Well, you know, I, just going back to this whole, I'm so in love with this concept of of doing less better. Um, because we always feel like, you know, it, it goes back to even on your personal level where you say, well, look how busy I am. Well, it's stop asking that question and start asking the question, how impactful are you with, with what you're doing? And um, if you become more strategic is what, just like you did in business, more strategic with the, the decisions and what you say yes to, um, you can get much more impact and much more profit out of your day-to-day activities instead of just always running around with your head cut off trying to do more and more and more and get through that list. And it's, it's true. And, and the, the irony, uh, Richard, is that most people have heard of the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Creative you know, principle, yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, 20% of the effort or 20% of the activity bringing 80% of the results, but but they, they don't practice it. Now, sure, in, in certain areas – of a company, you can't think that way. You know, if, if you're, especially when it comes to safety, you know, right. <laughs> we, we wouldn't want uh, British petroleum, uh, looking at the, uh, 2080 rule for, uh, safety. Right. Right. But, uh, strategically, why not? And also project wise, why not? Um, if you've got a, uh, a project list, that's a page, uh, surely you can prioritize that page and just, uh, cut the bottom 20%. Right. Why not? Well, I like to, again, it goes back to it, it, it gives you kind of the power or the um, courage to kind of tackle on either the big business or kind of thrive with the giants, as you said in your one post. It, it makes you, you know, take a look at um, there are disadvantages to the size and scale, like you said, of a big business or a big project. I mean, if if you if you niche it down, you know, you, you become more nimble, you become more entrepreneurial. Um, you become more creative, right? You don't got things holding you back. So I think it's just kind of a mindset shift of looking at ways things a little bit differently and 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 exploit those kind of um, I don't know, disadvantages to size to your to your favor. Yeah, and uh, you know, certainly a lot of large companies, um, you know, they're they're doing well in many many of the the broad divisions they're in. Uh, such as Procter and Gamble and, and Kraft and Nestle, so that there's I'm not advocating that they dump uh, these divisions, um, but they can certainly organize so that they have uh, strategic business units, uh, individual um, um, unit presidents, and I know uh, P and G do this a lot. Uh, you know, they have the beauty care is one category, and that it has its own management. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with some of the other categories they're into. I know they've just divested of, of pet foods. And that would be interesting to delve into and find out why. <laughs> yeah. So what was your – I'm curious, going back to when you're in the theory, what, if you take a look back now, what was your kind of greatest leadership lesson that you learned from that experience of, of uh, kind of doing less better? Well, I, 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 it has to be that uh, it, it enabled one to be – a, a real expert uh, in, in the field. And when you're an expert in your field, uh, you will be strategically stronger than your competitor who is not an expert in that field, even though their size and their market share might be greater. Yeah. Did you see you... it in the wine business all the time, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, a Gallo versus, uh, uh, you know, a small proprietor in Napa. Yeah. <laughs> who, who sells his or her wine 
something for uh, $100 a bottle. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't make a lot of bottles. Right. Um, yeah. And, and craft, bre- craft brewing is the same way. Uh, this is something that Anheuser-Busch are, are up against now. They just cannot be a craft brewer, a micro brewer, so they call themselves a macro brewer. Well, okay. But it gives, you know, but I guess that should that should encourage the microbrewer, right? I mean, there is a place Definitely. for you. Yeah. Def, definitely. And and they've done extremely well all these microbreweries and and you know, the, I, the, they've obviously looked at beer as do people look at wine where there's a number of varietals and different tastes, flavors and origins and all this kind of stuff rather than uh, just drinking your same old Budweiser. Right. And uh, this is this is this is the growth category of beer in North America and probably the world. Well, the book is called Do Less Better, The Power of Strategic Sacrifice in a Complex World. How's the uh, reviews been? You got a good write-up, didn't you? The, uh, not too long ago, right? Well, there was a very nice one on uh, Forbes, a, a very nice review on the book on, on Forbes. And then yesterday um, in, in Canada, the largest uh, financial newspaper is called the Financial Post – uh, did a did a feature on me. I I was hoping it would be on this book, but uh, a good reporter dug a little deeper and he found that I have also written a historical uh, adventure novel. Oh. And he wanted to talk about how a how a CEO um, finds purpose after the corner office. So it was rather interesting. And uh, of course, then he said, you know, how are you doing less better? on the novel. And I said, Oh, I'm glad you asked that question because it's a real easy answer. Uh, the novel was far too long. I took it to one of the best editors that I know. And she said, John, um, how much are we going to lose in this novel? If you started at chapter 12, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, my um, Richard, I actually did kill my darlings. Oh, um, wow. Bridge the gap a little bit and started the book at chapter 12 and it's a better book. Wow. That's great. Wow, yeah. twelve chapters though. That's 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 a big cut. Well, there's there's forty chapters in there, so but it's still significant. It is. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge slice. Yeah. Oh, letting your baby go. Well, that had to be tough. But like I said, I mean, you made it better, like you said. Yes. Well, I'm always curious about whose people heroes are, and if we wrap up here, um, if you had the chance to have the ultimate dinner party where you invite five of your friends and just have this wonderful night of conversation, who would those five people be? And why? They could be live or dead. Well, I, I've just finished reading Outliers. So it, I think Malcolm Gladwell would be a oh, great choice. A great guy to have around the uh, the dinner table. And <laughs> it wouldn't matter who, who the other three or four were. Uh, there yeah. would be so many stories to tell. Oh my and, gosh, and I'm yeah. told, I, I, I hear that he's written something called uh, David and Goliath, which sounds like it's up my alley. Yeah, great. I love him. Been trying to get him on the show forever. Yeah, he's a... He, that would be great. All right, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, who else? But 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 now you've asked the question. Then I have to figure out. I've got to get the chemistry right here. I mean, Steve Jobs would have a would be an interesting guy, but it it, it might be a difficult uh, discussion. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, Jobs. But Jobs would obviously uh, uh, be terrific. Um, uh, another uh, another great leader would be um, well, a, a visionary would be Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean. Here's a guy that had grit, and 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 great leaders require great grit. 
and, and you know, he he followed his dream for a long, long time, even when it was so, so very unpopular in the 60s. Right. Because I re, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when he was called Cassius Clay. Right. So uh, so that would be interesting. I'd like to have uh, Marissa Meyer there. Who? She is uh, Marissa Meyer. She's, she's the CEO of um, Yahoo. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's faced with a turnaround. She's faced with a much bigger turnaround than right. I was ever faced with. Yeah, going up against Google. Oh my, yeah, can imagine. You know, and and she's she's made one of those tough calls. She doesn't want people working uh, out of the office. Right. They meant, I remember that when she first got in there, and she was like, "Hey, look, you know, if you're gonna work, you're gonna be here." Yeah, I remember that was kind of unpopular, but it was you had to you had to uh, respect where she was coming from. Yeah, it was awesome. So it should be interesting. Uh, how many am I am I up to? Four. Four. Yeah, one more. Okay, let's add Michael Porter. Uh, oh, Michael Porter is the uh, the esteemed uh, Harvard Business uh, School professor. Yep, he has been the strategy guru for as long as I know, I can remember, and even his strategic writings of the uh, the eighties that a lot of people say you know are no longer relevant today. Mm, I'm not so sure. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of horsepower. That man, you've got some serious horsepower at this uh, at this party. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think I would be saying much. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd love to be a fly in the wall. Be doing a lot of listening. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Great choice. I love ans- I love people's response to that question. It says a lot about the individual and just where they're at. And uh, I think that's a great list. Well, guys, John, where can people find you, get in touch with you? Again, the book is Do Less Better. It's available everywhere. I'll have links to uh, where you can buy the book directly on the post. But how can people get in touch with you, John? Okay, so there's two websites. One uh, is my blog website, which is called uh, theceoafterlife.com. And the book, uh, there is a, is a website for the book where one can comment or ask questions or whatever, and that's called uh, www.dolessbetter.ca. Very good. I will have links to all these on the post. And again, I really do like uh, in the CEO Afterlife, a lot of great writings on there. John, you're a great writer, and uh, I encourage anybody interested in leadership, particularly on the business side, but it, it's a, there's something there for everybody, and I highly encourage people to go out there and, and check it out. So, John, what a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so glad to have met you, and I'm glad and I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for stirring my senses again, Richard. <laughs> my pleasure. We'll talk again. <laughs> Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.